0: Welcome to the Goal In podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes right here in Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Lincoln Innes. If you're a first time listener to the show, welcome. It's great to have you here. And if you're returning for more, welcome back. As always, we love our repeat offenders. Here at the Goal In Podcast. One last thing before we get started, just take a little peek at your phone if you're listening listening to this as a podcast and just hit that subscribe button on the app that you're listening in on. And if you're watching this video on YouTube just go ahead and hit that subscribe button and don't forget to hit the bell as well that way you'll never miss an episode and if you like what you hear on today's show please don't forget to share the episode with your friends and your family that way we can share a bit of the goal in love around okay let's get into the show as regular listeners of this podcast will know we're fast approaching 100 episodes of the goal in podcast in Today's show is by far the most powerful, touching, and heartfelt podcast that I've ever recorded. Sometimes in life, you meet people that truly humble you, and Lincoln is one of those people. Like many young, red-blooded Aussie blokes, I lived my life like it was never going to end. As a young fella, I often took really big and stupid risks. And like most young men full of testosterone, I never really gave a moment's notice or a moment's thought to the consequences of my actions. And I don't mean any of that in a bad way. It was just, that was just the way that I kind of lived my life as a young guy. Tearing around on motorbikes, jumping out of planes and kicking indoors with a gun was just normal life. And in all of that, I never really thought about what would happen if something went wrong. As you'll hear on today's podcast, Lincoln loved life and he also lived his life in the fast lane as well, like most red-blooded young Australian males. He had an amazing bunch of mates and a family who loved him and he had his whole life ahead of him. And one day that all changed. In fact, it changed in an instant. And for many of us, I'm sure you can relate, we're all just one moment away from many things. In Lincoln's case, that one moment changed everything when he broke his neck and he couldn't feel anything from his neck down. Now, I believe the true measure of a person's character is his or her ability to handle the truth. And the truth is that Lincoln took on his injury. He wrote out the inevitable ups and downs that come with it. And ultimately, he broke through to a new life with purpose, balance, and of course, a little bit of fun in there as well. As you'll hear, nothing's going to hold Lincoln back. There is nothing stopping him from contributing to this world, and no injury is going to put a limitation on him or define the goals that he sets for himself. This is a truly inspiring goal-in story from a young man who, at points throughout this podcast, he had me speechless. In fact, it was many times throughout the show where I just didn't know what to say. And for a podcaster, uh, that's a rare thing, let me tell you. I was... And I am absolutely inspired by his determination and his spirit and his commitment to live a life of purpose and with passion as well. That is really, really inspiring for me. In the next 60 minutes of your life, when you're listening to this podcast or you're watching this video, I'm absolutely certain that you will also be moved and inspired by Lincoln. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Lincoln in a Lincoln Innes, welcome to the Go All In podcast. It's great to have you here, mate.
1: Thanks, Rob. Good to be here.
0: I'm super, super, ultra excited for this one, mate. You embody absolutely everything it means to go all in. But before we get into your story and hear what that's all about, I want to get to know you a little bit because we kind of like to do that on the front end of a podcast. Tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from, and uh, what what's your background?
1: Yeah, I'm a uh, 26 year old Australian. Grew up. I was born in Sydney, uh, I spent a bit of time sort of around over in Perth before making my way back here and settling down with the family. I'm the oldest of six, so six. growing up with a bit of a... Six
0: brothers and sisters?
1: Yeah, also one younger brother and four further younger sisters, so... Gosh, big family. Never done my... <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, uh, growing up just sort of out in the western suburbs of Sydney, uh, finished high school, started studying at uni, you know, I'm your sort of typical extrovert i guess i really enjoyed going to the gym um exercising getting out there i'll take every minute i can do to get down to the beach go for a surf yeah i love my movies um and generally just uh yeah trying to make the most of the sunshine
0: (laughs) beautiful beautiful just a regular aussie bloke from the western suburbs of sydney is the way that i would summarize that mate that's a you and me are cut from the same cloth. I grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. People think that I'm from Cronulla, but I'm not. I'm actually from a place in western suburbs called Bass Hill, over near Bankstown, out that way. And yeah, I kind of grew up doing exactly the same things as as you described there. You know, playing sport outside every moment I could, down the beach whenever I could, that type of thing, and partying and having fun with my mates. It's um, it's really interesting. You meet Sydney side as you're a little bit younger than me, but it's still. All the same thing. We all grow up the same way around this fantastic town that I love so much, which is is really cool. But I don't want to spend too much time here on the front end of the podcast because you've got a pretty epic story. So let's get into it, shall we? People come on over to the Go All In podcast link and to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, mate, could you please share this epic, epic Go All In story? Or maybe some stories that you've got there as well. Maybe it's more than one. And tell us about the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success.
1: Absolutely. I'll get into the juicy stuff. Feel free to interject whenever you've got a question. Um, but yeah, I'll just go for it, I guess. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, all through. I'll, I suppose I'll start with a bit of background. So through high school, just to shape myself a bit. I was really into my health and fitness. Um, you know, I up to 18, I was going to the gym twice a day. Uh, after school, I got into landscaping. Started studying graphics design at uni, but um, I was always on my diet, up early, out late um, with mates. I was really just trying to make the most out of time I was given, and uh, I was, um, yeah, definitely sleeping too little, drinking too much, and um, yeah, just really, uh, really fast-paced lifestyle. And then in uh, January of 2012, after one trimester of uh, university, I'd gone up to uh, past Newcastle to the Tea Gardens, um, where a mate of mine. Uh, his parents owned a holiday house by the beach. There's a few of us. There was about uh, seven or eight of us that up there. I'm um, just driving up just to spend about a week up there, you know, just drinking on the beach, just, you know, relaxing on, on uni break. So, you know, the standard. <laughs> um, standard
0: bloody uni students. <laughs> My son's a uni student now. It's very different now. But I, I, I get it. Continue. Sorry. I had to interject there and say that about uni students. Sorry.
1: <laughs> you're right. You're right. Carry on. <laughs> As it is. And uh, yeah, funnily enough, I was um, this particular day I was going. I remember the day perfectly. It was the thirty first of January. Um, it was a an overcast day, but that didn't stop us. We were going to make the most of it. I was actually supposed to go up there the day after with my best mate, but um, one of my other friends she had uh, um, encouraged me to go up the day before because I had nothing on, and we both worked the same job. And she said, "I'll come up early and you spend the day, and I'll drive you back down and go up the next day with with um, our mate." So I said, oh, all right, all right. But um, come the morning of the 31st, I um, had this funny feeling in my gut where I got out of bed and I just didn't want to leave the house that day. It was really interesting. I was really sort of gut feeling, like that instinct, like that something was wrong, but, you, you know, you couldn't quite put your finger on it. Like, like when you're on the way to the airport and you, you feel like you've forgotten something, but you don't know what it is. Just mm. like that. Anyway, she came around. We left sort of the long haul up to Newcastle and we got up there. Had a big lunch, just a few issues on the way, actually interesting, like work called us, asked us both if we could come in. We said no. Uh, We took a wrong turn, which ended up being an extra 45-minute detour, a lot of little hurdles sort of thing. I don't know how many, uh, if you or any of your your listeners are superstitious, but um, there are just some things like that, which are a bit interesting, I I find in my own experience. Mm, Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and we get up there and, um, yeah, we we have lunch. We load up all the boards, um, towels, whatever, in the back of the truck, jump in the truck and go down to the beach. I'm trying to make the best out of this cloudy, uh, miserable sort of looking day. And I can't remember the name of the exact beach for the life of me, but it's at Tee Gardens there, a very isolated beach when we arrive over a sand dune. It was just us, no one else on the beach. Chuck our stuff down, one of my mates runs in, check the water, and he uh, spins around and he goes, boy, it's freezing. And I've just whipped off my my tank top and flicked off my thongs. And I scream out, pussy! And I sprint down, bootleg it right down in the water, uh, wanting to be the first one to to dive in. And a few of the others are running behind me anyway. I dive in and at the moment my feet leave the sand. That feeling from earlier really kicks in. And I know there's something wrong. What I've done is a big mistake. I've, I've done loads of like... Swimming and stuff, I grew up doing swimming lessons, squads and stuff. So my technique was diving, hands over my head, head down to like, you know, skim just under the surface of the, over a wave and then under the water. But that feeling just, just was overwhelming. Anyway, I just went with it, thought, well, it's too late now. My feet have left the ground and I, uh, yeah, I dove into the water and almost straight away I felt this and, and heard more than anything, actually, this, uh, reverberating crunch go through my entire body um, as I hit something hard. Um, and I was entirely conscious and aware of everything. And the first thing that happened was I opened my eyes underwater and I see the flecks of sand all around my vision. I turned my head a little bit to see. And first thing I thought to myself was oh, I, I can't actually feel the water or sand in my eyes. Like I, I was a bit confused. I thought, you know, normally you'd open your eyes under the salty water. It stings a bit like you can, you know, it doesn't feel that great. Um, anyway, that sort of caught me off guard. And I thought, oh, I think I'm, I could feel like I was inhaling water but I couldn't stop and I thought oh, I better get out of the water, I'll stand up. Um, it was about, you know, sort of stomach deep where I in, uh, dove in and I go to stand up and I can't and I try again and I can't and then it dawns on me, dawns on me. I can't actually feel my body below my, below my head. And I try again, s- still nothing and all I can manage is to shake my head from side to side, that's all I could feel and move. Are you under the water? Yeah. So I could tell my head was sort of just bobbing like as as you would floating face down in the water. Mm. Um, and so I I realized that I'm in trouble um, and something's obviously very wrong. So I start to shake my head probably in hindsight, not the best thing I could have done at the time considering my injury, but um, it's all I could think of to get the attention of uh, my, my mates around. And I was shaking my head um, and I was probably doing that for, it felt like to me for for minutes, but what my mate said would have been 30, maybe 40 seconds at tops, um, but it felt like a lifetime in the water. And then eventually I stopped shaking my head and I could feel myself falling asleep, losing consciousness. And I honestly thought to myself, I was like, all right, this is kind of a anticlimactic way to go, but that's it. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to drown here and now on this beach and there's nothing I can do about it. And then I sort of had like a, just a flick through my mind, like the image of my body just being rolled up under the sand and my friends realizing and um, sort of all the the horror that would come from that. And then my family, my girlfriend at the time receiving the call, uh, yeah, my brother and sisters, um, all that sort of thing went through my head. And I sort of just, I'm not really religious, but I had like a little sort of prayer to myself that, oh, you know, I hope they're... They're okay, sort of thing. Uh, and then just as I was starting to fade to black, I feel this big rush as the waters surge past my head. And one of my mates has grabbed me under my arms and pulled me up and out of the water. I take a big breath and I, first thing I just shout, get me away from the water, get me away from the water. He's pulling me back and he said, what's wrong? And I said, oh, I can't, I can't move my legs. I can't, I can't feel my legs. And, uh, the mate that, uh, pulled me out of the water, we had, uh, did a uh, health studies together. So he, had a bit of knowledge of sort of uh, medical procedure and things, and he knew there must have been something wrong with my spine. Um, so he said, Oh, I've got to put you down. And he, as he got to the water's edge, he laid me down on my side, and I said, No, no, get me, get me away from the water, get me away from the water. Um, and so he called, to get some help, and with uh, the two of the other fellows that were there, um, sort of supported my head and arms and dragged me up the beach to the towers. And they lied me on my, on my side, and I was coughing up water, a little bit of blood, lots of sand. Did, was, you a lung,
0: did you get a lung full of water?
1: Yeah, yeah, lots of water and sand. I was honestly coughing up uh, salt water for about a week after that. It was pretty mm. nice. But otherwise I was I was pretty okay. you know I was conscious completely, yeah, despite sort of that, and they got me on my back and everyone's I just that that image is so vivid of everyone sort of looming over me like you get in that, the movies sometimes with the characters looking up and all the, <laughs> the figures are over them. It felt very surreal. And at the time, I actually thought I was just having a bad dream or something. So everyone so. I mean, what's wrong? And I said, I can't feel my, my legs or my, my, my hands or my body. I can't feel anything except for my head. Um, and they said, oh, um, my mate said, oh, don't move. You know, we're going to call, we're going to call the ambulance or the police or whatever. Um, anyway, they were trying to do that and they could find a reception. So one of my mates ran back to the truck to drive to where we could find some reception. Mm-hmm. To call, and the rest of them set about uh, massaging my hands and feet, actually trying to get some blood or sensation back into me. Um, yeah they were really on the ball and amidst all that um I, just, I can't remember exactly what i was saying but i was cracking jokes and stuff just <laughs> uh just they were all had, had their hands all over me i just thought oh this is a bad dream i'm just gonna make the most of it sort of thing and it was covered in sand and my eyes were all sandy and i kept on saying "Oh, can you get the sand out of my eyes i can't bloody see and eventually my mate comes back with one of the local cops that he he bumped into on his way to the final reception the cop came over and he saw of sort of assess what was going on and then called for a um uh ambulance and a helicopter and then whichever would arrive first would have taken me and then there was sort of 30 40 minutes of waiting around and then just cr- trying to dry me get the sand out of my eyes and um, do what they could for my for my uh, hands and feet for my nerves and
0: what, what what happened before we move off the beach and with that story and lincoln mate thank you for sharing that's so, a man I i don't know what to say like I'm a podcaster and it kind of like takes all the words out of my mouth, man. You know, you know, you've told the story many times and that reaction is, is probably uh, very, very common. Uh, but I, I kind of, from a practical perspective, you're running down the, you just described me. I was at the beach with my mates, got out of there. It was cold. I screamed at somebody, told them they were a pussy and I ran, mate, I think I must've done that exact thing about 50 times in my life with my mates and dived in shallow water. Like that would be shin deep maybe even shallower because same thing. I grew, I just grew up in the water. I grew up at the beach. What happened? What did your hands didn't, what did you do? Did you bump your head? What, what happened? Can you remember?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was something like hard and solid. So not sand. Yeah. No, no, uh, we believe it was a a raised sandbar under the water. And because it was, it was overcast and the water was, um, it was dark, obviously. um, And you couldn't see, um, it was just in that one part, just slightly raised, and my head must have just clipped it. And what happened was when my head was down, surprisingly enough, if my head was raised over, like, up, mm. I might have been fine, perfectly fine. Would have just skimmed underneath me. But I um, clipped my head, and my head just smacked my jaw into, like, my chest and crushed, like, uh, a few of the frontal vertebrae up, like, really high up here. See? High up. Yeah. 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 Um, it ran about the same level that, you know, people can you know, are unable to breathe and lose any sort of brain function and things like that. So um So you're yeah, lucky
0: so. not you're lucky not to die from from the actual injury from bumping your head like that.
1: Really, really lucky, yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, it's it's no joke running around and diving into the water like that. There's you know, that's I, I can remember hearing about that on the news to some a French guy at Bondi Beach. It happened many years ago and over the years I've heard that lots of times and I had a near similar experience as as you just skylarking around like a typical idiot Aussie bloke on the beach and of all places in Hawaii. And we, <laughs> we we rocked up in Hawaii early in the morning and it was too early to do anything. It's like six o'clock in the morning. We dropped our bags at the hotel and we're kind of on the other side of the clock. So we're sort of awake. And me and the missus, we went and got something to eat. And we went went for a little walk, and then we went down the beach. We checked into the hotel, grabbed our swimmers, and the first thing you're going to do in Hawaii is go across the road and go and swim at Waikiki Beach because it's beautiful, right? And put the towel down on the sand. I was looking around. I was like, wow, this is amazing. You know, it's the first holiday we've had in a long time. And like an idiot Aussie, I ran – I kind of trotted to the water, and as I ran up to the water, I just – I dived in. And would you believe it, man? I dived right onto this bommie. And I don't know. I, I just – and you could, the water was calm and it was crystal clear blue day, the opposite of what you're describing. And I dived onto these rocks literally. And I came out of the water and I was like bleeding from both. (laughs) I was bleeding from both of my nipples and I was like scratched as if like you'd taken a gut slide on, on the driveway type thing with no shirt on in the water. And it, and it hurt like hell. Like, and I, I thought to myself, what was that? And I thought, man, I was lucky not to hit my face or, or my head. Like, I don't think I kind of, it wasn't that shallow, it was sort of waist deep and I and I dived as I went in. So I was pretty, like I kind of belly flopped onto it rather than dived onto it in, in shallow water. But I came out of the water and I was like bleeding like a stuffed pig and my missus looks at me and she's like, what did you do? And I said, I oh, just don't dive in the water over there, whatever you do. Yeah. Cause there's, there's like bombies, like rocks sticking out of the water and high tide covering them up type thing. So yeah, I, it can happen just at the most unusual circumstance and just completely innocent, unaware of something like that. Right.
1: Yeah, that's right. It was like any other day at the beach, like you said, you know, just you've done a hundred thousand times before. Just, yeah. What
0: about your feelings there? You, you like you, I can kind of go back in my mind with hindsight with some of the things that happened in my life, had a couple of motorbike accidents and stuff as well. And if I think back to what was happening in the lead up to it, that kind of wasn't right. And what did I make that decision for in spite of the way that I felt about it and things like that, all the things that sort of went wrong and aligned for that to happen for you. Had that ever happened to you before in your, in your life?
1: Um, Certainly not something that, uh, that intense. I've had a few, I don't know if they would be near death experiences, but like, Experience that I've been like, whoa, I've got to, you know, take a step back and.
0: Careful. Yeah. What I'm
1: doing, yeah. Um, funnily enough, like three or four months just prior to that, I was at the beach once again and I was um, doing flips over waves and a, way, a particularly big wave that I was unprepared for. Flipped me over and dumped me on, my, on the back of my neck and I'd stood up and I was seeing stars and I could feel my whole body tingling. I'm like, oh, I've got I to stop that. i got to, you know, I'm going to go lie down. Because my uh hurts hmm. and it feels kind
0: of weird. So yeah, I I nearly lost my life in the surf one time as well many years ago. And and I'm a I, like you. I grew up in the pool, swimming lessons with my old man. I was always a really good swimmer. Was always a great swimmer at the beach and and whatnot. And I, I remember one day just out the front here in Cronulla in Bate Bay. Me and my missus at the time, we, we rocked up at Wanda Beach and the surf, man, it was pumping. It must have been 12 foot, 13 foot. It was big. And uh, we put our towels down on the beach and I said, I'm going for a swim, of course, as you do. And I didn't think anything of it. Nothing. I didn't think of things. I had my board shorts, nothing. Didn't think a thing of it. And she goes, you sure? I always remember the saying, you sure? And I went, yeah. She goes, all right. And I went in there and I swam out. And of course, I swam right out the back. Of course, you know as you do. It must have been like 500 meters out there. What's well, what it felt like? It was probably only 100 meters out, but it felt like a long way. And I, I could see a wave coming, and I just I remember this so clearly. I remember going and swimming for it, and just going for it. And then as the wave is kind of cresting, I'm like too late on the wave and thinking, man, I am absolutely going to get just creamed by this thing. And I pulled myself back and got off so I didn't get dumped. And then. Then there I am in the break and I go, all right, here's one. I'm in a better spot here. Go again. And the waves were, they were just too big to be body surfing. And the way that they were crashing, I was just going to get absolutely hammered. And I thought, well, I better get out. And of course, I'm trying to swim out the same way I swam in, but it's impossible because you're right in the break. Yeah. I remember swimming and swimming and swimming and swimming for about 20 minutes thinking, you know what? I don't feel like I'm going anywhere. Actually, I feel like I'm further out than where I was when I started. I thought, well, you know, what you do is you swim across the rip because that's what you're taught to do when you're a kid. So I swam across the rip and I kept swimming across the rip and I kept, (laughs) I'm looking to my right for a place where there doesn't seem to be a break. And it's not because the swell is so big at that part of the beach. It's just a wall of of waves the whole way, right? Just the way that Cronulla Beach is shaped. And I I ended up swimming all the way down to Allura Beach. It must have been a click and a half. And I finally got out, you know, and I I got to the shore and I was on my hands and knees as I was crawling out of the water, you know, visualizing your mind's a hot summer's day and on my hands and knees. And I kind of walked back up the beach with my tail between my legs and I got my towel and I sat down next to my missus and she goes, oh, you were gone for ages. I said, yeah, it's nice. (laughs) Pretending like nothing happened. But I swear to you, if I had been in the water for another 10 minutes, I probably would have drowned. Because the surf was just too big, there was no one. There was no lifeguards here. There's no one there. It's the middle of the week. It was like just nobody there. The lesson. The lesson is: no matter how good a swimmer you think you are, you're just never as strong as the rip. And no matter how much training you do, you just you're going to get yourself caught out. And that was it never happened to me ever again. Never
1: ever. Yeah, well, me, and my brother, and one of our um, good family friends had the exact same thing happen to us up at a uh, Kingscliff, Northern New South Wales. Um, yeah, we were- crazy surfing there was no one else on the beach and we were sort of just you know mucking around and well oh, let's go out and take, body surf these waves and start you know getting sucked out by the rip and we realized oh crap you know we're, we're in trouble and then luckily all three of us are really good swimmers and yeah we got back to the beach but it was about you know a kilometer and a half further down the beach by the time we uh we got out and uh, yeah we were like exhausted so
0: mm, mm. I-, I liken it to you know, one of those old 1960s movies when, he, when the man, the characters in the Sahara Desert and he's on his hands and knees looking at the oasis, water, um, water. That's how I got out of the water. I I, I, fair I was at the absolute limit of my physical exploitation. And, you know, years later, I was in the, in the military and in the Navy and stuff like that. And, you know, I'd never did anything as hard as that that was a good reference point for me actually uh for all the diving and, and stuff that i'd done which was quite dangerous sometimes as well but was nowhere near as dangerous as the bloody surf out here for heaven's sake all right man take me uh take me off the beach did you get in the helicopter or the amber
1: yeah yeah so um yeah after a good 30 40 sort of minutes on being on the beach and waiting um the helicopter arrived first so yeah i remember this vividly actually too. it's kind of funny um the paramedics jumped out and they started setting about cutting my board shorts off just to you know so they could get like me dry and get the stuff around from the helicopter and get me in one of the jacket things the
0: spinal board thing properly yeah
1: and i remember being so upset because i bought those boardies just like a week before <laughs> it's like no <laughs> can you just take them off <laughs> the i <laughs> like, no, no, spent 50 bucks on those come on before <laughs> uni student doubt nah. is anyway they got the scissors and they cut them off and then they flopped me on the arm. Well, they carefully rolled me onto the stretcher, I should say. Mm. They were um, careful. And then being aware of the uh, situation, put me in the helicopter, which was cool at first, but then um, I was stuck staring at the ceiling of this helicopter for a good sort of 30, 40 minutes again, um, which was very disappointing for my first helicopter ride. (laughs) All I wanted to do was look out the window and they put an oxygen mask over my face and I was forced to look just straight up at the ceiling. So. Um, uh, and then they airlifted us to, um, yeah, Royal North shore where, um, yeah, they then got me out and rushed me through emergency. Um, and I remember as I was going into sort of the theater preparation, um, uh, my dad was there in the sort of hallway, obviously my mates had managed to call around and get the sort of, you know, the news out there. And my dad was there and yeah, I just remember looking at him as I was going through the doors and I just shouted out Oh, I'll, I'll see you in a minute. Like I'll see you, I'll see you later. Um, and then, then, he was, then we were gone. So, were you were you in pain? No, um, but honestly, I think because my body was just in that much shock, I wasn't in any pain. I just had no feeling at all below my arm, um, below my neck. So, mm. yeah, was, um, this, it was um, it was was very surreal. I felt like a like a ghost almost.
0: After that mega long day, driving up the detour the wrong way, going to the beach, forty minutes later, you're back in bloody Sydney for heaven's sake. In 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 hospital, did you realise the gravity of the situation? Did you realise what was happening when that was happening, or were you just kind of like, "Oh, I'm going to be
1: okay"? Yeah, no, I was. I was honestly probably in a lot of a delusion as to the exact situation. Um, for months, and maybe even maybe to some extent, like a couple of years afterwards. To be honest, you know, I um, because the next thing I know after they sort of you know I went to sleep and they chucked the needle in me, I was awake in the intensive care unit and there was machines beeping around me, and it felt like I was in the Matrix or something. And it was—I mm. just moved down my throat, and I couldn't pull it out. Still, I was wondering why my hands weren't working. And um, I thought, oh, you know, um, I had orientation like party with a few mates in a couple of weeks. I was like oh, I'll be better by then. And a few months later, for my um, uh, girlfriend's birthday, I was like, I'll be better by then, and I'll be partying with you up in Queensland. And I wasn't better by then. And then, you know, a year later, I was still thinking, oh, you know, I'll just keep doing physio, and one morning I wake up and I'll be fine. And it wasn't the case. Um, so how
0: long were you in hospital for?
1: A year for the remainder of that year. Um, I was in at Royal North Shore Hospital for a month um, and then from April to or the end of March till mid-December, um, I was at Royal North Shore Rehab.
0: Gosh, and what about your rehab? That's, that was the next thing I was going to ask today. Obviously, it takes a long time to get to that point because they've got to work out what's wrong with you and what you can and can't do. But how long did it take? How long were you inside for? Did they take you outside every day or were you stuck inside there for like three months looking at the white lights?
1: Yeah, so uh, I remember the first time I did get out to get a bit of sunshine, I was so pale. It was yeah. like maybe about three weeks after the initial accident. Yeah, Got a long time. And I'd finally because after the first uh, few days, they had to get me sitting up again um, because of how your muscles deteriorate and your your bones weaken. I remember them sitting me up in a wheelchair for that first time, and I was in excruciating pain. I mean, which was a good thing because I could feel it. could Feel, mm. yeah, um, but. And not it wasn't normal, but it was. I could feel the the pain and discomfort, and I was only up for two minutes. And I was like, "That's all I can take." Put me back down. So,
0: what sort of could... pain? Like, is it like nerve pain? Is that what you're feeling, or is it the pain of like circulation and sitting back up and your body not being able to support itself?
1: It was like um, I, I couldn't use or feel any of my muscles, so it felt like my spine was just being compressed, and it was almost like you know bone on bone sort of thing. It was most yeah uncomfortable thing. Anyway, after a few rapid. Uh, repetitive days of that eventually I could withstand it and I was a bit stronger I guess and I was able to sit in a chair and then yeah by three weeks I they were able to wheel me out I was able to get a bit of sunshine so
0: what's the worst part about lying in a hospital bed like that because in your mind you're okay and you're not sick you're just broken and and I I always my dad had a stroke at the end of his life he had a heart attack and he had a he had a stroke but my mum saved him right so she got him to the hospital in time and they saved him but then He was good, but he had a stroke. But he lost some of his cognitive function. Not really sure if he could see. He couldn't. He couldn't speak. From from a man who you could just never shut up. He suddenly couldn't speak, and it was really and. But he was aware. You you could tell, but it just something happened with his brain and his mouth that didn't connect anymore. It didn't work. But the poor guy, man, he was in like hospital for same sort of thing, three or four weeks like that. And I would go there every single day and be just sit with him every single day for a couple of hours in between stuff and. Man, it was like so, so hard. And there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not sick. And it was hard for me to be there. And it's sad because it's my dad and all that sort of stuff. But I, I just think, and I can remember walking past the wards and there's people in there like all busted, you know, broken arms and, and like in splints and hung up and all these sorts of weird positions and thinking, man, those guys are not sick. They're just busted. So there's nothing wrong with their mind and their mindset's actually pretty good. What, what about your mindset Beyond what you said about denying it all, was it okay? Were you, were you all right about it?
1: Uh, for the most part, yeah. Um, I contribute some of that to the whole thing that, you know, I remain optimistic and a bit delusional. One day I was going to wake up and be fine and I'll be partying and everything. But um, I'm a pretty naturally, I'm I'm a pretty optimistic person or realist more than anything. And I, you know, I thought, oh, you know, I'll be all right. I'll, you know, I'll get up one way or another, you know, I'll sort myself out. The, doctors are saying all this stuff and I was like shut up I know my body better than you sort of thing and
0: <laughs> What are you talking about? I'm going to get out and walk out of here that type of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah that sort of thing mm. they were, um, Yeah I mean they were, they were helpful and all but they were always very like you know pessimistically like oh, after such and such period of time you know that's the most um, you'll regain back or you know you'll probably never walk again. it's unlikely because um, they diagnosed my injury as an incomplete quadriplegia because my spinal cord wasn't actually severed um, it was just crushed um, and so there was a lot of bruising and swelling, but it was still intact. So they really couldn't say like what was going to happen to me. So, yeah, it was good. Um, you know, people would come in and I remember seeing like my, my siblings, my brother and sisters for the first time and they're all in tears and lying there like, hey, look at me. I'm shocked, babe. Like, lying, You're mucking like, around.
2: No, no,
1: <laughs> like, I hated being there and I, 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 I'm being super independent. I'm like, I don't want people to, you know, waste their time being stuck in hospital with me I wasn't like that so um, I, I appreciated it but uh, looking back on it now I'm, I'll always be grateful for that but I always thought thinking to myself man I wish these people would go do their own shit you know I'm, I'm dealing with my shit here sort of thing but, um, did, did you
0: see did you see friends and family that you hadn't seen for years and wonder what they were doing there
1: yeah, yeah I mean, there was a few there was a few what but are I you doing here seen... I haven't seen you for five years yeah 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 just ask them what's new
0: <laughs> I'm here to see you you idiot <laughs> 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 and so that's what I mean like there's nothing wrong with your mind yeah it's like you're completely right take me through your rehabbies like yeah how long was it after your your accident then the rehabbies kicked off
1: they started like some some light rehab while I was still in the hospital um so after the first week of being in intensive care unit they chucked me up to the spinal cord injury ward on um, a few floors up where I was around other people in the same sort of condition better for better or worse um
0: did that help you did that help with your mindset being around other people like that?
1: It did a little bit, yeah. It was sort of comforting. It's always comforting to know that you're not alone. And there's other people. As bad as it sounds, uh, suffering like you're suffering. Mm. Um, and then you know, it was good. I made some, you know, lifelong uh, friends through that. Meeting people with the same sort of circumstances and you know, understanding sort of how we all sort of get on with it. Um, and it was started with little things. So I'd get my arms up in slings and just generally moving around, just trying to encourage my muscles to come to life again. Because I, while I was still in hospital, I could start feeling like a little bit here and there but i was so weak my muscles had deteriorated in that first probably two months i would say i lost 20 plus kilos oh wow maybe about 75 down to like yeah 50 yeah it was pretty bad um i think at my lightest which was just at the end of that year i was down to like 45 i think how tall were you about 6162 now and at 19 when i had the accident i was like 5'11 or right
0: on 6. So, Gosh. gosh. Yeah. And just kind of wasting weight or just a shadow of your former self, right?
1: Yeah, well, yeah. If you don't use it, you lose it. So well, that was what was happening to me. Um, Yeah, it took me... Um, then, yeah, after being in hospital, going we to rehab, and that's when they really sort of give it to you. They stick you on the cycle and they power you and they stick uh, electrical stimulant pads all over you and they fire your muscles up with that. And Can you feel it? I, I Slowly, eventually, I was able to start feeling it. It took me... Some good milestones um, was seven months to be able to lift a hand up to be able to like feed myself with a fork or a spoon, yes, yeah, so up until then, I always required someone like a nurse or a friend or one of my family to help me eat and drink and stuff. Yeah, it took me a month just over a month to be able to use my my iphone a touch screen iphone <laughs> i remember I remember typing my first uh, message in a group chat to a bunch of my mates, and it took me like. 35 minutes to type out this one sentence. I was so proud. I was
0: hey, like, Hey wankers, what are you doing? <laughs>
1: literally, it was literally that.
0: Yeah. I, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Well, so, so how, how long does rehab go? Does it go for, before you leave hospital, they rehab you for six months before you get out of the hospital?
1: Yeah. So, it, um, for sp- uh, spinal cord injuries, it depends because where we were living out at Kellyville. We required uh, some renovations to be done to make the house accessible for me, so we were waiting on on that, which is why it took to the end of the year. Otherwise, I was probably supposed to be out there at, by uh, September, I believe. Sooner, it took a few more months. Um, and then, yeah, but but once I was at I was at home, I we then reached out to these other specialist uh, physio groups, which I then I still go to actually to this day to go a couple of times a week, which um, are good with spinal cord injuries and they really sort of get you out of your comfort zone get you into to move and do exercises which you wouldn't be able to do uh, yourself or a regular physio wouldn't be able to assist with
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i see as we're sitting here watching this and for the people listening into the podcast i can see lincoln moving around a lot and i can see you moving your arms and i can see you uh, moving your shoulders so you actually got quite a bit of mobility right it, that's taken a long time to get or did that come back to you pretty quickly
1: um yes very progressively um but like even now if i really put my mind into like you know recovery and gym um, it's sort of like working any muscle or like stretching and things. You sort of reach a little further. You can lift a little heavier sort of things. So um, I'm at that maintenance stage at the moment where I can do everything I want to do. So I just go to the gym to sort of keep that up. And I've tried a lot of those sort of pseudo therapies and a bunch of other different stuff, but I um, haven't found too much success. Um, but yeah, I've come a long way from being a, a bobblehead on that uh, beach shore to um, being relatively independent. I can take myself out now and all that sort of thing. Um,
0: and, and what about when you came home, you you're obviously back at your mum and dad's place cause they're going to look after you. Is that, is that what happened? Is that where you went?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, after the home rent is done, we were only renting there in Kellyville. Luckily we had a really nice landlady, which which um, let us renovate and do whatever we needed to for the place. Um, and then, yeah, well, I've only just recently sort of moved out of there into my own place. So,
0: so you've got your own place now. Are you completely independent like that?
1: Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a shared house at the moment with a, with a couple of other people with um, disabilities. Um, but yeah, a couple of housemates, but i um, I take myself out, can come and go as I
0: please and yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, thank you for taking us through your journey there. Uh, I, I suppose I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, maybe I maybe I would be right in assuming that the journey is really just beginning once you get out of hospital and that that's your goal in story there, right? Where your whole life is completely flipped on its head, you know, once upon a time an active young Aussie bloke out there taking it to the world living his life and doing what he loves is that's all kind of taken away what did you do at first I mean suddenly universities like you're not going there anymore then you've got work your job you know you you need to do something with your with your life you can't just sit there all day like what did you do to begin with
1: yeah I'd reached out to to my old uh, uni that year and told them that um, yeah I wasn't gonna be coming back maybe in the future but at this stage it was a no in my job, of course, which I was I was working at a, a bottle shop, I informed them as well. And I was, I was still in a lot of uh, delusion, like I was saying, so I got home and still in the mindset, you know, I was going to wake up one day and I'd be fine. I was, I was having like vivid dreams where I would just wake up and I could just walk out of the room or whatever and, and do things. Um, and it's really strange, like at, at times I would go to do something like pick up a remote or go and open a door by turning the doorknob only to realise that I couldn't. Like <laughs> I That was, didn't work. Yeah. yeah it just didn't work I'd, I'd reach for it and then realize oh shit I actually can't grip and turn a doorknob mm. some things like that so yeah, a lot for, for a lot of time I got home 2013 and 14 even in yeah probably even into the beginning of 15 um, I was not I was a, a probably a, in a darkish place I was like a little depressed and um, just down and I was honestly just waiting waiting for something to sort of let me know that I could sort of move on I guess and sort of pick me up I was I was waiting for someone to save me, I suppose, and it wasn't until, funnily enough, I was sort of almost forced to start interacting out of my comfort zone through a few friends and the local Rotary group, which is funnily enough how I met Daniel Tolson, yeah. and uh, they started, you know, pushing me to to do some speaking and some writing and getting me out to events and stuff, and slowly I went from being a bit of a hermit, just refusing to leave the house with my sweats on and my Ugg boots and my hoodies to, um,
0: you, <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to be in a wheelchair. or be disabled to feel like that. Plenty of people feel like that.
1: <laughs> and then, yeah, eventually, I, a few mates um, organized for us to do a bit of a boy's trip to New Zealand for a couple of weeks, which was really great. Really get me out of my comfort zone. And, and then Daniel like pushing me when I met, after I met him into Doing NLP and being a business coach, which I learned and, and I completed, and then that finally led up to me sort of building up a bit of my own sort of name for public speaking, which I did at high schools and things, which I really love. And uh, what's, yeah, that, what's I- that
0: like? What's that like teaching or telling your story to high school kids? Because I'm hearing your story for the first time like this, and I'm like, oh, it's kind of you know, yeah. it stops me dead in my tracks type thing. It must really do that for the kids as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I like speaking to sort of the, the older students. I feel like they can relate to it the most.
2: Yeah, they
1: have the most value out of it. But um, yeah, they're usually stunned, and I you know, get a couple of cheers here and there, and I you know, get a, some like claps and things, and some oohs and ahs, and and no tomatoes yet, which is good. But um,
0: <laughs> the kids will tell you how it is, mate.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's generally really well received, and they're always interested to ask questions and stuff. And I always tell my audience when I finish, I'm happy to answer anything, any no question is too embarrassing or whatever. I'm long past that. So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. When somebody's feeding you in hospital and you can't use your hands, yeah, you get, you get past that
1: pretty yeah, quick. Yeah. Well, how are you supposed to shower or do anything? If you can't actually, you know, get in there and do it yourself. So
0: somebody helps you. Yeah. Right. yeah somebody helps you like that. It's, it's good. You, you said, you kind of came out of your tracky dacks and your Ugg boots and you got into rotary and you met Daniel and that was kind of helped you get a little bit of momentum. Did that, were they the things that you wanted to do or is that just kind of new things you were exploring? What, what happened with all of that?
1: Um, well, I've always been a pretty sort of yes, man, sort of by nature. something would come up to me. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to do it. It's something new. It's something I haven't done before. It's, give it a go. Give it a go. Um, which sort of all that sort of helped rekindle. So, wasn't necessarily something that I knew I wanted to do, but I knew I needed to get back into that mindset and start saying yes again because I've been making excuses for the longest time and being like, um, I, like, with the mindset that oh, I can't do this or this until I get better. I, can't, I, I don't want to go to the movies until I can drive myself. I don't want to go to the beach again until I can walk myself down to the sand, all that sort of thing. Um, and um, yeah, that was the snowball for that, Rotary and, and meeting Daniel and getting involved and all that sort of thing snowball being to saying yes and then eventually I realized that oh there's still things I want to do there's you know goals I want to achieve and things I want to accomplish in life uh, and that just because you know things are a bit more difficult now and things have slowed down doesn't mean I, I stop you know pursuing things I don't have things that I still love and I want to I, I want to do so um that's when I was like all right screw it I'm gonna be in a wheelchair for the rest of my life it's maybe you know that doesn't have to be a bad thing if I don't want it to be Um, and of course there's been benefits to you you've always got to think the positives I never would have met Daniel or been involved in Rotary if I hadn't there's always some light to be found in the darkness and the good in the bad yin and yang and all that sort of stuff so yeah
0: absolutely absolutely that's so unbelievably beautifully said mate you articulated that nicely and you absolutely embody everything it means to to go all in and, and just commit and to go with it and you know, life is full of ups and downs, and there's, you know, I think happiness is a pendulum for sadness, and we are centered. You find your center on a daily basis. Some days you're happier than some days you're a bit not as happy. It's just kind of how life is, but it shouldn't detract from where you want to go in your life. And I know it's nowhere near the same scale as what you've had to experience physically, but. Over the last couple of years, I've had to let go of a whole series of things physically as well. I can't run anymore. I can't jog anymore. I just got busted paratrooper knees that just have worn out. I think at some point I could probably either have them replaced or have some sort of stem cell therapy or some pseudo thing like you described that maybe will work in the future to solve the cartilage problem there. But, you know, you have the bone on bone thing banging like that when you're running, it bloody hurts. And I think it hurt more in my mind, and my heart than it did physically in my body because I had this like desire this urge to do all of these physical activities and I felt like I'd I'd run my race literally excuse the pun but I'd run my race in the military and I just wore my body out I can't do that stuff anymore I can still run on a treadmill and I could still run like five clicks with you but tomorrow I can't back up and run five clicks again you know and once upon a time I could run like 25 clicks in a day and not even think twice about it sort of thing and it became something that was part of my life and Over time, I just kind of had to let it go, and it was really, 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 really hard. And it might sound like, "Ah, Rob, you know, you what are you, what are you whinging about?" But everybody has something in their life that at some point they've got to let go, and you got to move on. And you can't. It's like you say, you know, I want to go to the movies, but I'm not going to go until I can drive myself. Well, you know, maybe that's never going to happen, so you're never going to go to the movies again. Come on, man, you know, going to the movies and eating popcorn and eating a choc top. There's nothing better than that sort of thing. So life is happening to you now i guess is the lesson right and that's the lesson that you're sharing with us is just because you've got a, a physical disability or something wrong with you or you can't do something it doesn't mean you can't have a choice to do something else and that's just such a an important lesson mate and you embody that a hundred times better than i ever could i'm just like i still run every day on a treadmill in the gym you know i just don't do it for any more than 20 minutes and I don't try and do it outside in the concrete because I know that's not going to end well. I just kind of substitute it with something else. Tell me about some of your goals and like, what are you seeking to achieve? What if, What's on the horizon for you?
1: Oh, so for me now, I'm really trying to like make sort of an, an author brand now. So I've like got a different collections of writings. I've nearly finished my biography, which is based around my accident and my experience there. Um, my first poetry and uh, prose collection, which I really enjoy writing. So, and, other people have expressed their interest in that, so that's sort of come about on its own, which I'm really grateful for. I'll probably get back into some public speaking once I have finished these books and, and sort of gotten them out there because I do enjoy that. It's been a year and a half since I've done that. But yeah, I'm sort of looking forward to just writing some books, being creative. I really love my reading and writing these days um, and uh, I want to do more travelling for sure. I've, uh, I love cruising at the moment. That's the easiest way to travel to New Zealand. Um, but yeah, I want to go to Iceland is on the books for next year, actually. I want to try and kick that in the butt So.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Excellent. So that's, that's what you're doing now, isn't it? Because I kind of didn't set that up there properly for you. You're doing a lot of writing. You're a freelance writer and you're authoring a series of books. You mentioned right at the very start of the podcast, you were at uni studying graphic design. In hindsight back then, should you have been doing something to do with English, not design?
1: Yeah, very probably. That's something my mom had always told me. She always wanted me to be a writer. She's like, oh, you're so really? Cool. I thought it was...
0: She wanted to you fun. to be poor.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> said, "You're so good at art. You're so good at writing." And I said, "Oh, you know, artists and writers don't make money till after they're dead." So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is true. This yeah. is true. Very good. Very. Good. I, I, my mum was a voracious reader when she was younger. I always remember there was Wilbur Smith books around the house and things like that. And these big things are like doorstops, you know, like phone books, and mum would read that, and I would. Kind of roll my eyes at it. And I remember the very first book that I ever ever read, the first uh, novel that I read was The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And I remember being really captivated by the language in that book. And as a young kid, I mustn't have been more than eight or nine years old, but being drawn into that, but then having a hard time reading that book and it was difficult. And over time, I, I started to develop the same kind of interest in literature like that as well. And I remember in high school, they made us read the book, The Lord of the Flies. And you know, I don't remember much from high school. It was just a, it was just a blur of girlfriends and football and stuff I shouldn't have been doing and misbehaving and drinking beer at parties or whatever. But I do remember that book, the Lord of the Flies. And I think I remember a little bit more because I was in the military and it was a lot kind of the Lord of the Flies was always something there. If you haven't read that book, please pick up a copy of that. It's really, really good. It's I don't know why they give that to young kids to kind of read. It's like a bit kind of dramatic and traumatic, but I guess there's some lessons in there at all. Yeah. And over the last, uh, over the last couple of years for me as well, I've, you know, just, it all came from books and from my mum, a little bit like you, your mum encouraging you as, as well at the same time, I really developed a, a love of writing as well. And I was trying to write a book and I realized that I actually don't want to write a book. What I want to do is share my opinions. And, podcasting is the way to do that right so that's where here we are on a podcast robin robin lincoln like that but recently i've done a lot of on-camera stuff where you have to write the script for the teleprompter and i've really really kind of got into a groove of that and, and enjoyed that so i'm not only have i kind of had a love of books and literature for years and years and all things fiction and nonfiction, but now i'm kind of exploring that new part of writing what have, what have you learned about yourself when you've become a writer and you're becoming a writer, I guess you never become a writer, do you? You're always becoming one.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. me, it was it was definitely, it began almost therapeutic after my accident. It was just mm. a way to sort of, you know, get the thoughts and feelings and words out of my head and put them on paper because I've always been very, pretty secure in myself. But because of that one setback from that was that I, I never really relied on anywhere else. So I never really sought out any sort of therapist or, you know, I had my mates to talk to and stuff and were always very supportive. but. I never had any sort of in-depth conversations into how like, you know, what happened impacted me and writing was a a very therapeutic way for me to release a lot of, you know, of the thoughts and feelings I had in relation to that. And then through that, it sort of made me like accept, you know, who I, this new person that I am, you know, the new Lincoln and, you know, realize that I have a a lot still yet to give and offer and then, you know, getting confident in my writing and realizing, you know, I I can make something out of this. I can actually, you know, contribute you know i don't have to be a don't have to be a little stone just stuck there in the corner living off the the doll (laughs) like a lot of people do succumb to which is very unfortunate
0: yep yep. and 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 if you want to you can do it in your tracky dacks and your ugg boots and be a hermit
1: that's right i can still maintain that
0: lifestyle now you've got an excuse i'm a writer what do i need to get out of my pajamas for that's what it is (laughs) lincoln mate Thank you so much for sharing your story. I can't... The gratitude that I feel for you sharing that with me and this audience is just immense. That is an epic tale. And you took me all the way down there to that injury and nearly drowning in the surf. And you you came back like a phoenix rising out of the ashes, mate, and contributing some great stuff to the world. Before I let you go and before we close out the podcast here, I can't leave the show without putting you in the podcasting hot seat. It's just a couple of quick questions it's four questions tell me the first thing that comes to mind mate it's a bit random it's in no particular order but what are you thinking here's the first one what are you thinking is the favorite holiday destination that you've had that you know about so far i know iceland's on the list but what's the favorite one that the listeners and the viewers might not know about
1: it's a close one between new zealand and dubai probably have to give it to new zealand though
0: new zealand absolutely spectacular scenery we just don't have mountains in australia like that right
1: yeah, it feels like home but it's not home.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It always uh, sorry to the Kiwis listening, but whenever I get on a plane and get out of the airport there in New Zealand, I feel like I go back in time a couple of years as well. But I like that. I like that aspect of it. <laughs> it's true, right? Every Aussie knows that that's true. That's why they're all over here, not over there, right? Let's let's stop that. You know, I don't want to polarize or divide the audience. Next one in the spirit of literature and writing, I asked all of my guests this question is, do you have a favorite a favourite standout book or a favourite author that uh, you could recommend for us?
1: Yes, my favourite author and book of all time, if not one of them, is probably Marcus Zurichis. He's an Australian author. He read, he wrote the Book Thief, which really inspired me to get into poetry and creative writing. Just his style was very influential.
0: Very nice, connected with you, Mark. So, how do you say his name? Marcus.
1: Marcus Zurichis. Uh, uh oh.
0: I S. I'll Google it. Don't worry. I'll Google it and put it in the show notes for us. And the book thief is the title of that book. All right, Lincoln, what's a, what's a skill mate that you haven't yet mastered?
1: Mm, Souffle. souffle.
0: (laughs) Don't open the oven before it's ready. I've done that many times and the missus gets really cranky. (laughs) (laughs) I was recently taken to lunch in the city by uh, one of my clients. He took me to this really fancy restaurant and uh, we'd finished and everything like that. And he said, have the best desserts in, in Sydney here. Do you want one? And I was like, well, you're buying. So yes, I'll, I'll have one. You know, we had just just had this most spectacular steak and he goes, the souffle is really good. You got to have that. It's to die for. And man, it was to die for. You put your, your spoon in it and it just, chocolate just flew out of it like that. It was like, oh my God, I love souffle. All right, but I digress. Last question of the of the hot seat. What's the, what's the best piece of business advice that you'd ever received?
1: Hmm. Probably from yours, uh, from Daniel Tolson, the one and only. Uh, Don't let the fear of failure stop you from succeeding.
0: Beautiful. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. All right, Lincoln, that ends that little hot seat quiz. Thank you so much for for sharing that and giving us an insight into your world. If people wanted to connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: Our best way is um, I'm pretty active on Instagram, to be honest. I find that the best platform for sharing my writing and a bit of personal things as well, um, which is just, Lincoln Innes, that's the tag there. Or on Facebook, you can find uh, my personal page and follow us or my writing page, which is also just, um, yeah, Lincoln Innes.
0: Very nice. And if you're listening to this on your, on a podcast, on your phone, just peek at the show notes and all the links to Lincoln socials are right there. And if you're watching this video on Facebook or YouTube, just scroll down and the links are going to be right there for you as well. So you're not going to have to go digging, them, digging around in Google for them. Lincoln, Thank you again, mate, for coming on the Goalian podcast. May I I be so bold to ask you to come back on and and maybe be a regular contributor. Maybe we can do some book stuff together. I'd love to do some book stuff, maybe some war stories together and talk about the dichotomy of all of those things, uh, Jocko Willick style. Would you be up for something like that?
1: 100% anytime, mate.
0: All right, man. All right, until next time, thank you again for coming on and it's bye for now. Yeah,
1: pleasure. Thanks, Rob.
0: Well, there you have it folks. What a fantastic episode. That has to be my favorite episode of Go All In so far. Make sure you connect with Lincoln and hop inside of his ecosystem. If you're listening on your phone, just take a peek at the show notes and all the links to his site and his socials are right there. So you won't have to go digging around Google for him. And if you're watching this video on YouTube or Facebook, just scroll down and you will see all of his links there. So make sure you reach out and connect, especially on Instagram as well. As you're looking at those links, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your phone or if you're watching in YouTube, hit that subscribe button and hit the bell as well. That way you'll never miss a goal in episode and you'll always have some motivation and entertainment right at your fingertips and in your ears. And if you like what you heard today, I'd really appreciate a review as well. That helps out a whole boatload as well. All right, if you've got a question for the show, you can reach out via the Go All In socials. And if you want to send me an email, you can do that by visiting goallin.com.au to find out more. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. I didn't want it to end, but whatever it is you're working on, whatever you're doing, get busy, get to it and go all in. I'll see you next time.
2: You are done Pretending that fate is patient Go right away Come back when you're older. Go find a place where you can't be the victim. And come back.